Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. And since I've been kind of back and forth a little bit, and I think actually even the series and the season's been back and forth a little bit, uh, I think we find ourselves in the no interesting time. So I'm going to do a little bit of recap, uh, not just for our guests or people who might miss some over uh, the, the Christmas break, but uh, just to kind of give a feel for where we're at to everybody, make sure we're all on the same page. We have been in a very long season on, um, I guess I would call on discipleship. We spent about a year and a half simply on the life of Christ and nothing but the life of Christ. We've spent time on our spiritual gifts and what spiritual gifts uh, are and what their purpose are and how they need to be spirit-powered and not human uh, effort for the, the mission of Jesus Christ. We went through with four chairs, uh, which if you're not here for that, grab me later. I'll get, get some coffee. Four chairs just kind of quickly takes you through four different stages of maturity once you're a Christian. Um, first year being when we're lost, when we don't know Christ, we're seeking. Second one is after we accept Jesus as leader and forgiven our lives by acknowledging with our mouth he's the son of God and believing in our hearts he died and rose again and following him. Uh, but we're still infants, we're still young in our Christian walk. Uh, and then as we continue to mature, we head towards the third year, which we, when we really get a better understanding that uh, we have a purpose, that we have a calling, and it's a little, little bit more evangelistic in nature from that standpoint. Not that you have to be a certain level of Christian before you can tell somebody about Jesus. But it, we become a lot more mindful about the fact that that's, that's what I'm, I'm real, really doing here. For a ma major ch chunk is leading people to Jesus, baptizing them, and then encouraging each other and discipling each other to follow the Word of God. Uh, and then the fourth year is as we mature and as we're leading people to Jesus, then we start discipling newer Christians, even more so. Again, not that you have to wait till you get some kind of gold star. But we find ourselves more in a mentorship role of things. So there's been a lot of things that we've been in. And then we went into this uh, series within that, that greater uh, season uh, on spiritual growth. And so that's been a little bit more the, uh, the last month and a half or so. And when I started that series, um, I shared with you some of the resources we're pulling from, showed you a list of some things that we might uh, want to cover if the Holy Spirit led us so much. Um, but I think it's reshaped itself, and that's really kind of some of the things I want to talk to you about um, this morning at the beginning of things, is I think uh, it got whopper-jawed, and I think God whopper-jawed it. Uh, we've talked about worshiping. We've talked about personal devotion. Uh, we've talked about generosity, and we've kind of gone back and forth in those as I've been pulled out of the state and different things have been going on or whatnot, and I... And I never look at those things as like, oh my gosh, this is happening. How do we, you know, just fill the void? I think God moves things because there's not a void. He, there's times he just wants me out of the way, uh, just like Jenny does. And uh, I'm just making sure you guys are still listening. That's all I'm saying. The, um, but as I look back at it now, it, I really feel like there's a new season coming upon us. I'm, I, I believe it's going to be something in the area of beachfront. Uh, and I know not everybody knows what that means. Uh, the elders have a little bit more of a view. I don't have a full view on it yet. And it feels like as we get ready to move into that, um, there's some things that we deal with as individuals and as a church that God's saying, before we just roll from this to this, let's deal with these. 
let's deal with these. So, so let, let's go back and go to the foundation instead of just, um, again, I know in some churches it's great to talk about vision and momentum and keep that going and don't distract. But I think there's times he purposely puts us on shelves. I don't know what Neil just did. What'd you do, Neil? You're throwing bacon again, won't you? What'd you do? Okay. But the, uh, we'll blame Stein. The, um, but but I, I think there's times he, he just, it slows us down. And I, and I think from some of the testimonies I've been hearing from you guys and watching uh, some of the other speakers speak. Uh, and again, Mike, thank you for sharing last week. Uh, I know it's been on his heart for a little bit. And I know that that took a, a step of faith on his part and did a, a wonderful job with that. Um, but I want to kind of keep rolling on those. I don't know if it'll match up to the list. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready at the end of this month. Usually when we kind of get in a season like this, it almost always happens about this time of year. I uh, feel like God's called me away for just three days of prayer. And uh, so I'm going to be doing that here in about two weeks. So if you'll be keeping that prayer too as we seek this new season out. Uh, but before all that fun, exciting stuff happens, I think we just need to continue to deal with what he says is on our table. And today I think it's dealing with sin. I think it comes to dealing with temptation and how those things um, come into play. Uh, one of the things that comes into this, if you, if, if we're really honest with yourself, like if I'm looking over the last five weeks and what I'm hearing from people and what I'm seeing in my own life and stuff, there definitely seems to be spiritual attacks going on. There definitely seems to be people struggling right now. Uh, there definitely seems to be old ways of trying to grab a hold of us again. There's been... Uh, times that I would not doubt at all if people sitting in this room or watching on video later or whatever case it be might not have thought about giving up um, or what's the point I mean am I the only one honestly if you felt like that in the last five weeks in any of these anybody because a lot of you guys are lying if you're not putting your hands I, I really believe that I think I think we're really going through a season that, uh, that that's going on so I want to just kind of address that heads on I want to do that from looking at a big case that's within the scripture you know me I like to read a little talk a little so if you do have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and go. Uh, I'm coming jumping around on you a little bit. It's not Chris. It's Dana. Hi, Dana. Uh, there's a slide that just has the scriptures, Second uh, Samuel 11. I'm going to go back to these others. Nope. That's okay. Just leave it off. Second Samuel 11 is where you guys are going to be headed. And we're going to look at the, the case of David. Um, now, David, I think most of us probably heard about David. David's one of those characters that we have a large breadth of information about. I love characters that the Bible gives us a ton of information about their lives. It's not just snippet here, snippet there. We see the highs, we see the lows, see what they do good, we see what they don't, they, they do well. I'll tackle this voice since it's up there. Um, one of the things that we know about David that he celebrated about a lot is that he's a man after God's own heart. Um, you've heard that said? How many people heard that said? A lot of people heard that said? Um, it's kind of interesting when you when you look at that. Uh, this you can go back, yeah. You can go on, on that now. Um, that um, when God said that about David, this is kind of cool to me. He didn't necessarily say that about David. But this particular quote that we find when he's talking to Saul and he's talking about Saul is going to be a downfall and that there's going to be one after his own heart that's going to be um, taking over or being the new prince. Or right? um, this was eight years before David was born. And so if you're a theologian type and you want to get in arguments like, okay, so is he really talking about David or a type of person? Was it, was it David and the time doesn't matter to God, so the eight-year thing doesn't matter? Or I really don't care. I, I, I just know God. Well, either way, whether God was talking about who he knew was coming, which, of course, he would know about, um, or if he was talking about a type of person, David filled it. Either way, David was one after God's own heart, and I think that would be awesome for God to say about any of us any time. 
That's an awesome thing. Um, and we see a lot of reasons within his life of why that's the case. David was full of uh, faith. We see this in the battle with him and Goliath, of him going up against the, the, the giant uh, with full faith, trust. Um, if you look back at the, the tell when Saul was trying to kill David, do you remember this? This one still cracks me up. If, you, if your person likes to visualize scripture, I love this one, because um, I am that weird. When David's hiding in the cave with all his guys, because Saul's coming after him, and Saul doesn't know he's in there, and Saul goes in to, to pee. Do you, do you remember this? Uh, I was got, he, he stands in the corner, he's urinating, and David could stab him and kill him right then. But he doesn't because he's trusting God's plan instead of his own. But it still cracks me up. I'm sorry. Urination cells kind of crack me up. Um, but again, that's great trust in God. There's love, his humility, his prayer. I shared with you guys before the testimony of when I was going through a tough time as an associate pastor of a guy coming to me out of the blue and saying, hey, you need to look at David and Saul and look how to respect the person that's above you, that's still God's anointed, even if they're not following God, uh, how that works, his worship was undignified. I love that story, too. Those are weird stories of David. And he came back worshiping in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and he was dancing naked, and his wife got mad. She's like, you completely humiliated yourself. He goes, dude, I'll get more undignified than this. Just watch me. I'm going to worship before my God. Uh, he was a man of integrity. There was a lot of things within his life to, to absolutely celebrate him and raise him up. But when we get to Second Samuel, after 11, we get to one of the biggest blunders, uh, and can I say uh, sin situations, uh, in the scripture. I, I truly believe that to be the case of how mighty this uh, man falls in this particular situation. And I think there's a lot that we can learn as we go through it. So, like I said, we'll talk a little. There's Bibles underneath the chairs around the room if you need one. Uh, and baskets and new version is up and running, I believe. Brent, am I right? Is it working? Yes. Brent says yes. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I'm going to start out in verse 2. I'll come back to verse 1. I promise not to skip it. But I want to start out in verse 2. Just so if you're not familiar with where we're headed, uh, what the situation was, what happened. Uh, verse 2 says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw on from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. <clears throat> and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleansiness. And then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So let's talk about the situation a little bit. If you've uh, been with me in this particular scripture before, you know some of the things I might uh, be, uh, be getting ready to say. Um, but if not, I'll give you a little bit of a warning because I've, I've gotten some people upset when I've said this. Uh, this particular situation is great person after God's own heart, the great king, um, did not have an affair. He raped her. Um, there's nothing within this telling that suggests anything to do with an affair. I remember there was a series of books that came out, uh, the Christian fiction, was back when we were in the Christian bookstore like 20 years ago, I think it was Francine Rivers, and she did a series of books on women of the Bible but it was like fiction based on their lives. And one was on Bathsheba. And then the story is talking about how Bathsheba always admired the king and how handsome he was. I'd never be good enough for him. I think that's all crap. Uh, this is a married woman bathing. The king who has all the powerful power in the kingdom says, I want that. And he's told that she's married. And he says, I don't care. Go get me that. And he brought her into the castle by his guards and had, a, had sex with her and then sent her home, and he was done. 
I see nothing else within that. This, this, this is a, a major, major situation. It's a major sin that he created. Now, I'm leery on saying major sin because it's the, the sin we're going to work around as far as our particular uh, study today. But I want to make sure that we don't look at this and say, well, that's rape, and I haven't raped anybody in the last five weeks when you're talking about these spiritual attacks. I pray that's true. Absolutely pray that's true. But sin is sin. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think we as Christians take and come up with major sins and minor sins. Uh, and that also leads to judgment and treating people improperly and also treating our own sin improperly. Um, I think when we look at rape or murder or if we look at hot button issues like uh, like again sex outside of marriage same gender sex if we look at abortion the, the, these different things that other other people struggle with then sometimes we have a a an issue for us to say well at least I'm not like them and that's crap and then you have somebody say well you know, yeah, that's a sin, just like lying's a sin, and I lie, and yeah, this, this sin, and sometimes I gossip. Oh, I need to stop gossiping. Um, and even that I get concerned about because it's almost like we're trying to take major sins and make them like the minor sins. The reality is all sin is major. All sin is major. All sin is destructive. All sin is bondage. And so whether he told a white lie telling somebody that they look pretty today when they look like a train wreck, or he raped the woman, from a sin perspective, we are all in the same boat as David. So if we are shocked at his sin and not our own, we already have a problem. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's where I want to start partnering with this to be able to learn from it a little bit, um, is how do we avoid this situation or these type of situations or sins? And this is where I'll go back to verse 1. It's going to bring us up our first bullet point in a second. Uh, verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, this time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. Do you see what, what just happened? When he was supposed to be gone on the battlefield, fighting these battles for the Lord, he was on the couch. And he was bored, and he got up for a walk. And so the first thing I'll do, because you know, I know we have a lot of note-takers, so we've tried to do some bullet points to kind of keep things in an easy way to take notes. The first point is this. Don't put yourself in a place of temptation. If David do, did what he's supposed to be doing, he would be part of victories for the Lord instead of other people being part of those testimonies, and he wouldn't be sitting at home looking for something to do, which led to the temptation, which led to the sin. Most of us know the sins we struggle with the most. Most of us do. And it would not be that hard for your first step to say, okay, how do I avoid that temptation? How do I put some things into place so I don't even have to deal with the temptation before the sin comes into place? Uh, for some people, it could be, uh, okay, Wednesday night, it's community and I, I usually go community night. I just don't want to deal with people tonight, and I, I just feel like being alone. So I'm going to stay at home, and I'm going to watch Netflix, and I end up watching Netflix. And then there's a scene on there that's... In the, Pretty, pretty sexual, and it gets me to thinking about other things. Nobody's home, and I got the laptop, and it's dark in the house, and I may well just go over in the laptop. It, that's not that hard to figure out, is it? I mean, tr trust me, I, I'm not as your pastor saying, so go to Wednesday night. Because there's times I don't want to go Wednesday night. I don't. There's all kinds of things I don't want to go to, and then when you go, you go, man, I'm so glad I didn't skip that, right? I mean, all of us have that feeling. But to identify those mokos of what I shouldn't be 
doing. I should not be drinking alone. I shouldn't be drinking with a certain amount of people just because I feel like I had a tough week and I deserve this. And then be surprised when the angry drunk comes out or when I go off on somebody or do something stupid. Um, when, when I go to Polaris to overspend because I deserve something pretty for myself. And next thing you know, I'm all in on gluttony and I don't have the money to pay the electric bill. That's a problem. It's a temptation leads. How do we avoid those things? Uh, laziness. Laziness is a big one. I just don't feel like going to work today. Oh, what are you going to do with the next eight hours? You're home, you're alone, you're bored, and you feel like crap. What are you going to do something special for yourself? That's what Satan's going to ask. Don't call that booty call. Middle of the night, when you're bored and you're depressed, don't call that ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, or don't get back into a dumb relationship, or don't get into a relationship with somebody that's uneven with you spiritually because you just want somebody because the loneliness is too much. Don't put yourself in the place of temptation. I was talking to somebody not too long ago. Um, they were struggling with uh, cigarette smoking. And she, she really wants to quit, and she struggles with it pretty bad. And it's been for decades. And I, I shared with her the line that I've shared hundreds of times. Uh, that's 100% true. The easiest way to break addiction is don't start. It's just the easiest way. Um, that doesn't mean I'm perfect because I've never had a cigarette because you guys all know about my womanizing and my stealing and going to jail and all that fun stuff. So I'm not perfect. Close, not perfect. <laughs> but this particular one is don't start. Just don't start. Don't put yourself in that place. Wouldn't it be nice if it's that easy? This is disgusting that it is that easy. That's the hard part. That's the hard part of us dealing with the sin within, within ourselves. So anyway, so, so that, that, that's the first thing kind of pulls out of this. Then to get some of the rest, I think it's important for us to look at the situation of what happened and look at it from a public scandal standpoint. Because this is the king, and the, this, this is a major situ, situation to one of his men that are out fighting and his wife. And so there's a public scandal aspect. So what's going to happen if people find out? And we don't keep it just within a certain circle of people. So the question becomes, how does this man of integrity deal with what he has done and move forward? Verse 6. So David sent word to uh, Joab, the, the leader, if you forgot already, that who was leading the, the army instead of David himself. And he says, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, How, how have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel, Judea, dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as my your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in the, his presence and drank, so that he became drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on this couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Don't miss what's happening here. He is covering it up. 
It is not good enough that he's now raped this man's wife. He now wants to cover it up. If Uriah comes back from the field and goes home and sleeps with his wife, what happens? Oh, congratulations. You got a pregnant on that first trial. Look at you. What a man you are. What a stud. But he wouldn't do it. Why? Because in this case, David's not being a man of integrity. Uriah is. Because I can't do that while the, while the, the Ark of the Covenant is in booths and my, my fellow man is fighting for the Lord. I would not do that. I would sleep with you. His servants, he's like, okay, we'll stay another day. And he didn't go home. And he says, well, come on over. I'll, give you, I'll get you all fed and get you drunk and send you back home. And he still wouldn't sleep with her. Three times he doubles down. And the second point that I'll put, put up there for you is don't double down on sin. Don't double down on sin. His solution that comes into it is to create more sin so that this comes off of his back. And we do that all the freaking time. That is the temptation we have whenever we majorly screw up, minorly screw up, however you want to say it. When we screw up, the temptation is to hide it or to lie about it or still kill a motor to be able to cover it up. The effects that it has is on those around you even more so than yourself. David is feeling a little stressed out that's not quite working that way. How is Bathsheba feeling? Oh, this is going on. How do those who know what happened feel about what's going on? When you double down on sin, it impacts not just you, but your spouse, your kids, your friends that are close to you, those who are impacted by your sin, in no way, shape, or form does darkness expose darkness. Only light exposes darkness. Only light exposes darkness. It keeps accumulating the pain. It keeps accumulating the bondage the more that we double down. As this continues over the next several verses, I'll just kind of sum them up. As he does send him back, and he tells Joab, the leader of the armies, to, uh, well... The long version of it is put him on the front lines and then when things get really heated, pull back and just leave him by himself. In other words, have this guy killed for me. Why? Well, when he was home, he must have went over to his wife's because she got pregnant for me. Oh, it's so sad that that little child would not have his father. We'll have to take care of him. It's another double down. And he does. And he gets killed. And that's exactly what ISIS, I believe happened then on out. Matter of fact, when Joab said word that he made this really stupid move by drawing so close to the city and these people got killed and stuff, he says, when the king gets mad about that and says, how stupid are you that you did that, let him know that Uriah was killed in that battle and David was fine. The more we double down on sin, the more that it keeps going, the more that it becomes a secret. I, I, there's so many people in this world who live with secrets and um, afraid that they're going to come out. Best thing to do is just put it out. Deal with it, move on, but don't double down on sin. Anyways, uh, verses 1 through 9, uh, I'm going to skip over to, oh wait, do I want to share this with you? Yeah, let me, let me do the scripture before we pass it. 26 in chapter 11, when we're talking about how Bathsheba must be feeling in this and not having a schoolgirl crush on David. Uh, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did had uh, displeased the Lord. I really feel for Bathsheba in this. Verse 1 of chapter 12. This is where we'll bring out another point. 
the Lord sent Nathan to David, who's feeling pretty smug in the moment. He came to him and said, listen, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other one very poor. The rich man had many flocks with hoods, and, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had uh, bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this was too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. The third one I'll give you is this. Have friends who will call you out. Most importantly, have friends that will call you out of the darkness. Um, I'll let you write that down real quick, but I want to share another slide with you. It's, um, I've been going through Proverbs uh, with the Message Translation. Again, I think the Message Translation is a great reading Bible, not a good study Bible, but I have been enjoying reading the Proverbs with the Message and some of its phrasing. Um, we'll put a Proverbs 19. 20 through 21, it says, Take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wise and well. We humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. That oftentimes comes through his word, and it often comes through the counsel of those that are in your life, those that care about you. Uh, I saw a meme uh, this past week sometime. It was talking about pastors, and it says uh, something about, like, if the pastors preach the truth, you will either hate sin or hate the pastor. And I can attest that's true. It's come up a couple of times over the last couple of decades. Uh, but it's not just about pastors, it's about any of us. We're all ministers of the Word of God, and if we're all loving each other enough to bring 100% love and 100% truth to one another, the person that you're bringing truth to will either hate the sin, like David is getting his head around it now, or they'll hate you, and that's okay. You're just doing what God told you to do. To bring 100% love, 100% truth. So when you go to somebody and they're angry at you for it, you, it, it, it hurts. And it still, trust me, it still sucks. Um, but God will lead you through that. If you have a brother or sister in Christ come to you to reach out to you in, in your darkness, hey, I, I've noticed this, I've been concerned about it, I've heard this, I've been concerned about it. Uh, it looks like you've been struggling lately. I, I love you. Uh, here's a Bible verse. Here's a devotion, whatever the case may be. And you've gotten mad, then you're on the wrong side of the meme. And you might need to apologize and restore those relationships as well. So one of the things that we want to do is cultivate a light environment. We do not want to cultivate an environment where we're nitpicking every little thing that everybody else does around us and get up on their face about everything. That's called annoying. So if you do that, stop. That's really not what Christianity is about. 
but caring for each other and reaching out with light into the darkness is something we're absolutely commanded to do. It's modeled for us, and it's what we should be doing in our day-to-day walk with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So have those kind of relationships, um, because again, light is the only thing that exposes that darkness. So uh, how did David receive it? Let's go to verse 10. Now, this is still Nathan speaking. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own, eye, uh, your own house. And, which, by the way, did happen. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. Uh, happened. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Happened. Uh, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So, so much for expose, not exposing that public situation. Uh, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He finally gets it. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went home. Um, okay, here is the, the rub that I'm not going to be able to satisfy your frustration with. Why did the baby have to die? I cannot fully satisfy that for you. I cannot fully satisfy it for myself. Here's what I can share with you. I do know um, the differences between how the old covenant was versus the new covenant. In other words, how things were before Jesus and how things were after Jesus' grace. Uh, I do know that many of the things in the old uh, covenant age or the Old Testament had very much to do with just how serious sin is and to show us and teach us how serious sin is and the repercussions of that sin. Um, I know that a lot of things within the Old Testament and the Old Covenant is teaching us how it's so overwhelming that we cannot fix it by ourselves, that we absolutely need Jesus, we absolutely need grace. But uh, how David, who did this horrible thing, gets to live and the baby dies, I'm sure many theologians could spend hours on this. Um, I'm not. I think, uh, I, I think it's painful. I think it's painful. I think there's a point that comes from it. I think there's a couple of points that come from it, but it will not fully satisfy at least my curiosity from it. And I'll expose those as we go. Number four, God offers grace for your sin. Chris, if you would. God offers grace for your sin. Um, as I said, it's easy to address in the new covenant age because Christ has come. And he has lived that life, and he has died, and he has risen again. So that, as I said at the beginning, if you accept him as leader and forgiver in your life, you're forgiven. According to Romans, the penalty of sin is death. Jesus paid that price, let you and I off, put it on easy. We do not deserve it, but if you accept it, then it's yours. That was not part of the old covenant age. I think, like minor sin and major sin, we take this one way too lightly as well. If we're going through this and looking at the situation and we are bothered and grieved by the death of David's son and not bothered and grieved by the death of God's son, then we don't have a full understanding of what we're dealing with here. If you have anything that, whether it be from a a sin to rape, a lie to murder, whatever the case may be, that you're holding on to, and you're holding on to this aspect of things, uh, and you're holding on to guilt, that part's for you today. 
if you accept Jesus, leave, forgive me. If you know me for a little bit and just start talking to him and say, I need you. I just need you. And I need this to change. And I need to follow you. And I need to learn your ways. I need to hold on to your promises because this world is a swamp and I've got guiding any footing whatsoever. Then that's the beauty of the story. Uh, I was talking to my ex-wife uh, when I was down with Ryan's the first couple of weeks. Uh, Angie, his mom, uh, was living at the house as well. And it, it was really nice. Uh, we, we have always had a good friendship outside of when, uh, you know, she, she made uh, her, her mistake. She left in an affair, uh, which, you know, put a little damper on things for a while. But uh, we've always been really good friends, and it was nice to be able to have that time together. And while we were talking, she was sharing, she just had a conversation with somebody on the phone. And she was talking about uh, her life and what's going on and me being down there and, uh, and some of the things that Jenny and I do uh, to encourage her, to support her. And um, the person asked, do you still feel guilt from what happened? And this was 25 years ago. And she shared with me and she said, yes, I still feel guilty about what, it, what, what, what I did. And I'm a person that process conversations uh, a lot. Like, I, I, I will enjoy this morning, and Jenny will tell you, as soon as we're in the car and we're starting to head to lunch, I'll start going, now, wait a minute. Now, doing the message this or doing worship this or doing this conversation this, I start processing the entire morning and will until my Sunday afternoon nap. Uh, and I do that with everything. So I process a lot of conversations over a couple of weeks, and I touch base back with her. And uh, I said, you know, when you mentioned this, I said, I know it's out of the blue now, but when you mentioned this, I really hope that's not the case. Um, could there be scars there? Sure. I have scars from things I've done. Um, could regret be there? I kind of hope so. Um, how, how Green Day put it, tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial? Sure, all in. But we're not made to live with guilt. We're just not. That, that's bondage, that's Satan. It has nothing to do with God or his ways. So if, you, if you're living with that guilt and you're, you're carrying it on, um, please, 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 turn that over. Turn that over. Because all it does is lead you on doubling down and then you're back into the cycle again. Um, let's say this. Number five, there are ripple effects to your sins. This is a big one because it seems to confuse a whole heck of a lot of people. If I'm forgiven of my sin, then why do I still have to struggle from it? Okay. In this case, when you learn, uh, learn about what he goes through, and then there's the problem of the baby, it seems away from us. For me, as I mentioned earlier, again, when I was 23, something like that, I was arrested for stealing money from a place I worked at, um, everything train wrecked. Uh, I've shared with you guys the testimony again. If you've not had it, again, another we'll get-together Panera again. Uh, but there came a point where I was just sobbing in my mom's bedroom for the hypocrisy that I was exposed of. And my mom uh, said to me, that, and what changed my life was, uh, they seen what you did, now they're going to see what you do. And that changed everything. And in, in that time, I found forgiveness through Christ. We, we talked about it. Um, and he forgave me, absolutely. But... I still lost my job. I still lost my apartment. I still lost my girlfriend. I lost most of my friends. I lost my reputation. The only thing I had left, do you remember this, was my car. And a month later, an older couple pulled out in front of my car, totaled it, leave me $1,000 in debt that the bank wanted right now when I had no job. I mean, all those things happen. And that's understandable. 
Right? That's, that's what the, that, that's the ripple effects of that sin. It did mean that God didn't love me any less. And yes, he could have waved a little magic wand or threw some you know, pixie dust on the situation or something, but that's not how things work. He walked through all of that with me. He led me through all of that. And I'm the person I am today because of that. And a lot of times we don't want it to be that way. Now, again, that's a major, maybe we consider that a major one. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, within the last five weeks. And uh, as part of the conversation, they mentioned that they were mad at God. They're going through horrendously heavy things. Um, it, things you don't want anybody to have to ever go through. And they're mad at God. And I, and, and I asked them, okay, what, what did God do? And as we continue the conversation, there's really generally five things, and I could be wrong on this. This is just off the top of my head. Um, five things that lead us to uh, a crappy season. Uh, one is God, because God sometimes puts us into a situation to grow us. Uh, I, I see that scripturally. I know we don't like it, um, but if you think about Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit out for his temptation in the wilderness, those seasons come. More than often, that's not what it is. Uh, so we say Satan's doing this as a Satan attack, which absolutely Satan does. Um, it could absolutely be what's going on in your life that he's trying to stop. We're talking about attacks of Satan right now. Uh, but I can tell you the big three ones. You made a free will decision to put you in harm's way. Uh, God gave us free will. Someone else used their free will decision to put you in harm's way. Or it's a health issue that deal, because our bodies are corrupted by sin. This isn't how he created the human body to be, but it was corrupted by sin. That's what it is. So it's usually these three. And when we actually stop and say, okay, where is the stem of this coming from? Then we can do, let God lead us and lean into God through that, even if it's him. What are you doing, God? What are you trying to teach me? We can lean into him and go through it. So once we identify it, it's a lot easier to move forward. Once we realize there are ripple effects to our sins, they don't just magically go away. And that doesn't mean God's mad at you or is punishing you. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, let me put this on it because I, I love this voice, especially in the message form. People ruin their lives by their own stupidity, so why does God always get blamed? Thank you, Mr. Peterson, for that one. Actually, originally from Solomon, but I like his wording on it. Number six, lean into God during those ripples. And then parentheses, lean into God during those waves, lean into God during those tsunamis when they are coming into this place. Uh, when we look at the continuing story, here, uh, through verses 15 through 23, David tried to change God's mind. Uh, baby became sick. David started fasting. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't drink. He wouldn't shower. He's laying on the ground outside the palace. He wouldn't go in uh, for bed. His, his servants are coming to him. Please come in, get some rest. Let, let us take care of you. He would not do it. He would not do it. Uh, and then when the baby passed, uh, then he got up and he anointed himself and he pulled himself together and he got food and drink. And they're like, what is wrong with you that now you're okay now that he's passed? He goes, I can't change God's mind anymore. The season has passed. It is what it is. And now it's time to move forward. Um, and we need God to go through that. We need God to go through that. That's a, that's a massive life lesson. If you've not gone through it yet, you will. And we'll hear for you when you do. Number seven, trust God to turn it into something beautiful. Trust God to turn it into something beautiful because he always will. Whatever you give him, no matter how much ash 
and grossness and muck it is. He will always turn something beautiful into it. If you're in chapter 12 with me, verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. It's about freaking time. He's not sending her home. It's no longer my problem. He has been changed. He comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in uh, to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his, son, his name Jebediah because of the Lord, because Jebediah means beloved of the Lord. Uh, if you know anything about Solomon's life, what a life. Another David-type story, one after God's own heart, the one that asked for wisdom, and God said you could do, give him anything you wanted. One who wrote the, the Proverbs that I've been sharing with you, the one that wrote Song of Solomon, the one that uh, has incredible testimonies of his faithfulness to God until the end of his life when he majorly screwed up like his father. Um, but the story of Solomon both healed David and Bathsheba, but also healed the land. Here's the, a point that I see with the baby that I think is incomplete and almost insulting to even notice. Um, if the baby had survived, I'm cautious I'm bringing this one with you, as I, I, I struggle with the thought of my, myself because people use thoughts like this to legitimize things today that are wrong, um, or not God's best at the very least. Um, he would have always known that his father killed his, his, his mother's husband. He would always know uh, he was a result of the king raping someone in the town. Every time his parents saw him, or anybody in the kingdom saw him, that would be the legacy that it continued to bring. I do not say that lightly because I know testimonies and I know people who are the results of rapes that have beautiful testimonies and beautiful lives. So I'm not, I'm not saying that gingerly. I'm just saying I could see that that could be a struggle. That did not happen with Solomon. What they saw with Solomon was God, look what God did out of our mess. Look at what, so what God did and restored in spite of us. Um, I don't think it's complete, but it is the type of things I try to look at or look for when God is shaping my life out of the stupid, sinful things I've done. Last week, Mike asked you guys if you knew what God's will was for your life or did you want to know what God's will was for your life and, um, and build off of that. And whenever we talk about that, I always bring up a particular voice that's not on the screen. It's kind of a last-minute ad. Um, and, but it's Romans 12, too, if you want to write it down. Romans 12, 2, it's one I always go to when it talks about finding God's will for your life. Uh, and I'll read it to you, because usually I sum it up, but I want to read it to you. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, when I get the junk of the world out of the way, and I get God in my forefront, what, what His ways are, then I can test to know what His will is. doesn't mean I immediately know what I'm supposed to be doing today, but I can test to know because it will match up to what God has instead of what the world has. And you'll notice there's a, a difference in word there. Don't conform to the world. And the reason for why it says conform is because I'm of the world in my sinfulness without Christ. So this is the easy one. But be transformed by the mind of God 
is this. In other words, what that comes down to and to us, and we usually talk about this, is let's talk about this. Unless if I get rid of this, I can't take and know the will of God in my life. It's easy. It's always going to be muddy, muddy. It's always going to be messed up. It's always going to be cluttered. So we have to deal with this to be able to go to a new season, whether it be as our life or as a church. Does that make sense? We are not uh, woe is me people. We're not created to be woe is me people. Stop complaining about Mondays. Uh, stop having competitions with each other on how bad your life is compared to somebody else's life is. How many hours you worked last week for so many hours. I mean, you can talk about those things. We all share our struggles with each other. But you know what I mean by these little competitions that we have. We're not woe is me people. We're children of the risen king. We have to decide to sidestep temptation. We have to decide to be able to speak into each other's lives. We have to be able to not double down on sin, but to let light expose the darkness in our lives. And those are very conscious choice decisions that we can start today. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.